You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Hello, everyone. Come on in. Welcome. And what a show today we have. I am delighted for the very first time ever to have this brilliant young lady on the show. Her name is Danielle Jeanne. And that's spelled J-E-U-N-E. It's pronounced Jeanne. Danielle Jeanne is not only a podcast host, we're going to get to that in a moment, but she is a certified nurse practitioner. Would that be right, Danielle? And if it is, come on in and say hello. (laughs) I hope I've got that right. Yeah, you did great. I'm really proud of you. It's a hard name to say. So yeah, I um, I am a certified family nurse practitioner who also does sound healing and like it's called bioenergetic medicine. But yes, my I am traditionally trained as a nurse practitioner. Right. I've watched you do that. And it's a fascinating. (laughs) You (laughs) You did. I did. I watched you do it. And I've never seen anybody do it other than I'm trying to think. I think in science class years and years ago, they showed us that. But it's a technique where you have water in a bowl. And then you take a percussion beater, and I know what those are because I'm a drummer. You can get them at the music store. It's like a little gong mallet or a little tenor drum mallet with a stick that you hold, but it has fabric at the end, like a cotton ball type thing. It's what we call a tenor mallet or some type of percussion mallet, and you run that on the rim of the bowl, and it creates a pure tone. Am I on the right track? Yeah, I'm so excited because normally people don't know, but if you're a musician, you understand. Yes, I work. That's how I help heal people now. For me, it's a beautiful thing. I'm trying to work with, not trying, but I want to go to people's core. You know, a lot of our pain and suffering, it's put like a Band-Aid on traditionally by Western. And I don't just want to prescribe medication. I want to get to their core of their trauma. And through this, through these meditations, through the sound, you it's like the vibrations get you to on a cellular level. So that is what I'm doing. And that's what I'm worried about. You're so far above my head on these <laughs> techniques. I was hoping we could communicate properly together. Oh, my, oh, my. I don't know what to do with you, and we've just got started. Now, well, you, ask me questions. well I'm going to tell you this. I know and I have stated over the air for years I've said it. I've said that there is very little in this world that I love more than nurses. I think they are the finest human beings, along with, especially in this pandemic, we've been forced to go through. I think 
the medical community, the researchers, even the college professors, everybody who has dedicated their self to making society a better place to live, even though it's infected right now. My heart and my memory goes back years ago to a Russian Jewish immigrant that came into this country, and his name was, um, he was the man who got the cure for polio, Dr. Jonas Salk. I'll bet you in nursing you've heard of him. Definitely. And back years ago when my parents were young, polio was an issue. But today, look around. How many people, Danielle, in your career in the medical profession have you met with polio? None. I didn't think so. There are still some that have it that are left over from many, many years ago. But for the most part, if not the entirety of this generation being raised, we've eliminated that. And one of these days, Danielle, will you agree with me that we're going to eliminate this COVID-19? I definitely pray for that. I just think that there's so many uh, variants and things that are happening, but science will match up because we there are incredible scientists out there. So I do hope we can eradicate it as we did with polio. Exactly. And those dedicated scientists are heroes. And you know what? I put nurses in that same category because they march into the hospital knowing that the place is full of infection and they meet the challenge head on and they save lives. And what can be better than that? It's true. I um, I hear you, but I, I'm honest with myself of why I became a nurse practitioner is I wanted to save people, but I also realized I wanted to save myself. You know, it's like, as why you asked me, I'm a podcaster. My podcast is called Finding Your Inner Phoenix. And it's like, I'm realizing why I became a nurse, why I became a nurse practitioner. And my niche is addiction. So I wanted to save myself from the addicts in my life. Right. And we're going to get to that. And we're going to get to that in its entirety. Okay. (laughs) Definitely. And that is right. You have your own podcast. It's called Finding Your Inner Phoenix. And... I have listened to that as well. You did. I okay. ser- uh, more than one episode I listened to. And on one of them, you were pretty mad. <laughs> I was. <laughs> yes, you were. I was, yeah. Yes, I can get really mad. Yes, I can. Oh, but you're highly, highly intelligent. But I've never seen anyone conduct the show the way you do. Yes, you're a good speaker. Yes, you're intelligent. But at the end of your show, you will break out, you will select in advance, obviously, a song that matches the feelings that you have on that day, on that subject, and you'll sing a song. Yeah, I do. I know. I um, I didn't know. I mean, I've always loved to sing, but I'm learning 
I have to move emotions through me and I just want to create an emotional connection for my audience because they're usually like ballads that everybody knows so that you can kind of have a memory of my purpose or my message. And uh, I don't know, I, I like people to connect with me. So yeah, and I wanted to do something different, to be honest. I wanted, you know, podcasting has become more popular. And how do I stand out from the crowd, you know? Oh, my, you stand out. It, there's an old saying, you stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> yes, I don't know anyone that does that but you. Anyone. I've heard, I've interviewed singers, professional show business singers that will sing, and they have done so right on this show. They'll sing a sentence or a half a sentence or a few words, but I've never known a podcaster that is a member of the medical community do it. And that takes, that takes talent, number one, being brave and confident, number two. And we're going to get into how you got that way. But before we do, can we have, for the sake of the audience out there, a little definition, if you will, and you know it better than I. What is the difference between an LPN, a licensed practical nurse, which I've always told women that have asked me either on the air or off, I say, don't do that. If you're going to become a nurse, try to be an RN, a registered nurse, if at all possible. But there is an LPN, there is an RN, then there is what you are, a nurse practitioner. For the sake of the audience out there, can you run them through the three and explain the difference? Sure. There's actually even one more. So I will definitely go through it. So the LPN is a licensed practical nurse. That is the least schooling required to be able to give medications. But they are not able to give IV medications unless they're certified. So meaning if they're in the hospital, when you see things dripping in a bag, typically a licensed practical nurse cannot do that unless they have a certification. Now there is an RN that's the next level. So it's a registered nurse. And there's two types. There's one with an associate's degree. So those that have gone to community college have an associate's degree. And then there's also a BSN, which is a bachelor's in science and nursing. So they went to school for four years. So you will hear people say they're an RN. And typically, they are both educated. It's just one has a bachelor's and one has an associate's degree. And then finally, what I am is an ARNP, which is an advanced registered nurse practitioner, which means I have my master's on top of it. So I have to have my bachelor's. I can't just be, can't just have gone to a, a community college a registered nurse. You have to have your BSN and then you get your master's, which means that I'm not crazy about the term mid-level provider because I don't consider myself mid-level at all. But to give people an understanding, I am able to prescribe like a physician, but I didn't go to medical school, so I cannot call myself an MD. So that's kind of how I would explain it to those is there is essentially a hierarchy. Um, they are trying to transition actually those out of LPN schools and 
want to educate more actually in the bachelors, but there is a shortage. So there's always going to be, I think, that vocation until we have more bachelors of science and nurses. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, what I did not know is that your certification as a nurse practitioner, depending upon the state. Now, of course, with 50 states, you have 50 different set of laws in America. But depending upon the state you're in, in some of those states, a nurse practitioner can actually hang a shingle out on their own office and see patients. Yeah, and I actually do. I have my own. So I have two companies. It's Finding Your Inner Phoenix, where I do the podcast, my sound healing, um, more bioenergetic medicine treatment. And then I have Heritage Health that I own, which I um, see patients through insurance because I do things very much by the book. You know, you can't bill insurance for sound healing or things like that. But yeah, I have my own practice. I take care of my own patients. I think a lot of my patients, it's interesting, a lot of my patients would say, I can talk to you more than I can talk to my own therapist. I think nurses, we get to the heart of things. Nothing against physicians because I've worked with some incredible ones, but they are more by the book. Like, you know, you have to follow these guidelines and be the certain, you know, everybody's a, a case study where I look at things a little bit differently. Okay. You try to think outside the box, so to speak. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I know what it feels like to be put in a box. So I never want to put my own patients in there. Right. Now, can a nurse practitioner write scripts? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I write scripts. I write prescriptions. I do procedures, you know, taking care of women in all ways with their physical exams. Um, I write orders, testing. I do everything a physician can. Boy, that is incredible. I did not know that. (laughs) That That is remarkable. Now, with all of that in mind, are you saying that they are trying to get women and men to transition out of eventually the LPN moniker? I do think they're trying, yes, because the ed- it's only a year schooling, taking care of someone in the hospital. I do believe, and not trying to be prejudiced because there are those that are LPNs that have been for 30 years. So, of course, there's experience that I potentially may not have that they have. But it's the education level is more stringent when you have your bachelor's degree or even your, um, your associate's degree. Um, there's more prerequisites. There's more clinical hours required. So understandably, you're going to have more education as what to do when you're dealing with a patient when you have more education. So that's why they're trying to transition it to be more rigorous. Very well. And I would like to see those entering the field, just as a matter of opinion, to become an RN or higher because you're going to make more money, you're going to do more good to those who need you, and it's going to require a little more time, a little more education. But in the end, don't you feel it would be worth it? Oh, for sure, because you're going to limit your job opportunities. LPNs, I don't know, like you said, every state has different laws, but where I live in Gainesville, Florida, they LPNs 
can only work now in nursing homes. They are not their transition unless they've been there for 30 years and, you know, they've been there a long time, but they're not being hired on anymore in the hospitals. Right. They're so what we do. call grandfathered in. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. If I'm speaking to someone that's listening, that's deciding on their career path, I would highly encourage them to take that extra year. If bachelor's is not something you can afford or do, but please get your associate's degree. Yes, I would definitely encourage that. Very, very well. Well, let's move forward because even though you're as intelligent as you are and as good as you are in the medical field early on in your life, I don't know if this was during your medical days or prior to your medical days, you're going to fill me in and the rest of the audience listening, but somewhere in there, alcoholism reared its ugly head Tell me about that. Yeah, sure. So I actually was raised. Um, uh, my father has given me permission because I am very, I really honor, I'm in Al-Anon. So it's a, re- a recovery program for those that have been affected by the disease of alcoholism. And in that program, I've learned a lot. And I've learned that you can't call someone an alcoholic unless they call themselves an alcoholic. So my father has given me permission. He's been sober for 39 years. But with that comes dealing with, it's still a disease, right? It still affects children and the partners he's chosen in that process has affected me more. So that is where I have come to know where my gift is, is seeing it very clearly with my patients, the loved ones, and how to help people heal. Because it's like the elephant in the room that no one really talks about. So Right. That. The partners he selected, you're referring to his female partners. Yes. yes. My mom, who I love very much, but my stepmother was a lot more traumatic for me in my healing journey. To be was honest. she involved with alcohol? So she had an issue with alcohol, yes. Was your dad married to this second lady? Yeah, he was. Okay. Well, both of them, were both of them alcoholics? So again, I can't label them as an alcoholic, but I can answer if there was an issue with alcohol. Um, There has been issues with alcohol for both of them, correct? Okay, very well. Now, when in your life did you get to the point where you said, this is a problem? I didn't know, actually. You know, when you're young, you, and this is where I help a lot of people see, when you're raised in chaos, you assume that that's normal because that's been your norm. So I wouldn't know a lot of times with my ex-stepmother, it wasn't a problem. There's a term called dry drunk where um, they don't have an issue with alcohol, but they're they're not emotionally sober. Those are the terms that we use. And that affected me more than anything. You have to prove your value. Nothing you are never good enough. My perfectionism was created from that. You know, there's a lot of wounds when you're dealing with someone that hasn't healed their own trauma. Well, growing up in show business, I thought I knew everything about drunks, you know, because you play before them all the time. But I've never heard that term, dry drunk. What is that again? Tell, is that somebody that used to drink and does not? Is that what that is? 
Yeah. Well, they know they have a drinking problem. They stop drinking, but they don't heal emotionally. So there's rage. There is a lot of, you know, everyone's talking about the term gaslighting. So there's a lot of projection to the people that are around them because they still can't take responsibility for themselves. Typically, it's this, I don't know if you listen to my one, I call it victim entitlement behavior. So they are a victim and then they feel entitled to do whatever they want. And so if you haven't gone through healing, so you can stop drinking, but still be just as destructive to those around you if you don't heal. And right. that I did I mean. listen to that, by the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's my main, you know, it seems like everyone's talking about narcissists now. Everyone's ta- everybody is, there's no way that everybody's a narcissist. And then I am also at the point where it's like everything is on a spectrum, but I just really want people to wake up to, are you just playing a victim and are you projecting your own responsibility onto those around you and not taking responsibility for yourself? Okay. Somebody like, uh, may he rest in peace, Elvis, he had a problem with prescription pills, I would imagine. Yes. Would that be when somebody like that, and I'm not picking on him, there are millions just like him, but when somebody like that has that problem with these pills and they do not have them in their hand, the doctor won't give them to them anymore. Can't they be just like the dry drunk? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think, um, cause you know, people have asked me that too. Like, I don't, I don't know that much about narcotics. It's like, we all have our gifts, I guess. My belief is every one of us has our own healing gifts. And I, I do think addiction is an addiction, you know, whether it's pills or alcohol. I just know for me that my gift is seeing alcoholism. And I also think it's too accepted by society that I think that's like more of an issue than it's being seen like pills, either, you know, you're snorting it. So everyone knows there's an issue, you know, or you're just so overly using them that it's more obvious. Where with alcohol, I think it's more, um, what's the word, uh, insidious, you know, it's just more like uh, this undertone that is still just as destructive, but not as blatant. I believe alcohol, personally, my own self, I believe that's the worst drug. Oh, yeah, for sure. It is, because it's so readily available. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And people say to me, Rick, don't you think heroin's a much worse drug than that? Well, I'll tell you what, I don't like needles in my arm, so I don't know what heroin is. But I will tell you, if you use it, it would seem to me, from what I hear, you're going to be in the corner, down on the floor, and you're not going to know what's going on. Whereas with alcohol, you're running this this false belief that all is good until you wreck that car and run people over. You know what I mean? Uh, you're speaking to the choir. It's exactly yeah. how I feel. I'm preaching to the choir. Yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> that's well, right. hey, I've got I've got a good songstress here for him. <laughs> that's you. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you what. Uh, Danielle, I want to promote your website where people can get a hold of you. I want you to do that now because I don't want to wait till the end of the show and we're going to do it again there. But for right now, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, Danielle, Danielle Jeune, the last name, everyone, J-E-U-N-E, pronounced Jeune. Danielle, 
tell them? Where do they go if they want to say hello, if they want to say, I heard you on the podcast and I'd like you to answer this question for me, et cetera? What would you advise them to do? Sure. So the best way to contact me is through my email. So it's Danielle Jeune at findingyourinnerphoenix.com. But my website is my podcast name, www.findingyourinnerphoenix.com. Excellent. Now, your inner phoenix is that mythical Greek character that would rise. And it's reflective of taking your bad situation in life and overcoming it and becoming far more productive and good. And that's what you did with alcoholism. Would that be right or is that incorrect? No, it is right. I just know that I've had to... It's like I've had to shatter my old self to recreate my new self. Not that I, I don't know, I'm getting to the point where, what does that even mean? You know, we're all finding ourselves in this way, but it's more like coming back to our true self. I don't think we're, I think we all have it within us, but it's to reduce, removing all of these conditions, these limiting beliefs that was created because I had a lot of conditions placed on me by the alcoholics in my life. And I've had to shed them and I've had to re-heal all of these expectations. And so that's just what I want to help those that have been in situations to where they've lost themselves or they feel like they don't know who they are. Now, have I found that also through connecting with my higher power and my recovery, of course, and that may not be everyone's journey. But for me, yes, it's that mythological bird. But I've done it multiple times. Like even through this podcast, I feel like I've evolved and like burned and come through the ashes and risen and just want to inspire those that it's never too late to start over. And um, that's me. You could want someone to change, including your best friend, including an offspring of yours, if they are of age and have that problem. I don't think your young child that you have, you have one child. I have two. I have two. I have oh, you have two. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah. I don't know if I've talked that much about my second. No, because one. I only um, saw a photo of you with one. Yeah, no, I have a nine-year-old and a two and a half-year-old. Yeah, it's too soon to know if. Obviously, if my children inherit it, it's in my genes. It's on both sides from my ex as well as I. But I'm getting stronger in myself because what you learn, which is really nice in Al-Anon, is like you didn't cause it, you can't cure it, and you can't control it. So if my children do have it, my job is to love them but not enable them and allow, give them support, give them tools for recovery. And that is where my, I guess, my sole mission on this planet is to teach women, a lot of mothers, how enabling your child is making it worse. And that, and you can love someone, but not enable them. There is a distinction. Well, have you ever seen anything like that? Do you call that alcoholism? Is it fair to say that's a disease? You know, I've had a lot of people not, I've heard some people say it's not a disease. I've heard people kind of fight me on that, but I'm just, it's a, 
you're wired differently. You know, your brain is an addict's brain is wired differently. So if you want to call that a medical condition, and yeah, it is a form of disease that they're wired to need the alcohol to numb their pain. Not everybody has that wired within them. But I do believe that you're not stagnant to that label either. Like if you've come to the point, okay, I have an issue with alcohol, I need to stop that you can heal it. I call it rewiring your brain through meditation, through things that you can not become addicted to alcohol. Maybe you become addicted to meditation, but that's another story. But there is, I do believe, yes, it's a medical condition. I don't think it's diagnosed enough in our society, in our Western world, which is what I want to bring more with my podcast so that providers hear me, so that other people hear me, so that they can see because the disease that I call it in Al-Anon is denial. The only way you can survive in an alcoholic environment is you have to deny your reality because then sometimes you have to change and that's scary. So it's like, I just want to remove this denial veil that a lot I had, honestly, for many years. And I don't want, I want to live in reality and not denying what's actually happening. I've had them come. Oh, Rick, I've quit drinking. Oh, I don't drink anymore. Oh, that's fabulous. Great, great. A month later, boom, wrong. Nope, no, not this time. It didn't work. If you don't want to change, Danielle may want you to change. I may want them to change. The person next down the street, next door, they may want them to change. Their family may want them to change. But if they themselves don't want to change, ain't no changing going to go on. No, there's not. But what I do see happening a lot, which is uh, there's someone in their life that enables it in a way, like a parent or a significant other. I know I've enabled my significant others at one time because of love, right? You're like conditioned that when you love someone, you'll do anything, but there are boundaries. And when you've been raised by alcoholics per se, for me, you don't have as good boundaries. Or if you become in a relationship with one, it gets blurry, you know, there's dysfunction. And an alcoholic, there there's three ways for them, honestly. It's recovery, jail, or death. And it's really hard to say that out loud but it's the truth. And I even say death like an emotional death. I've talked about it before too. Not just some alcoholics are really great at, you know, just flying under the radar and they don't like act. They're not so hardcore. They're really controlled, but they're just miserable. You know, they're in this miserable existence of being unhappy their whole life. And, you know, that has just a ripple effect within the family unit. So I truly believe when more people get into Al-Anon to understand how to detach with love that if the enabling stopped, because you're hindering someone's recovery, like that's the biggest wake-up call I had, to be honest, was when I found out that I was hindering someone else's recovery because I wanted to fix it, right? Or I wanted to save them. Or because there's there's part of that, you know, there's like this little like, martyr in me that I used to have like oh I can fix this I can save it but it's not it's not my job you know it's their job but that takes a lot of work to be honest you know it takes a lot of self-awareness and that takes a lot of courage to detach when you really care for someone that is amazing you think you actually you hurt them by allowing them to continue to drink around you being an enabler is that what you're saying yes I'm yes and I know it's really hard I know if those are listening to me may be like not happy with what I'm saying but it's really true you know you are hindering one you're 
not allowing the dignity of that person to have consequences to their own actions if you come around and fix their mess. Um, you're not giving the person the ability to see the consequences of their decisions because you're around fixing it. You know, if you're paying all the bills, you're over-enabling, you're over-functioning, they're not you know, you're handling how things spiral out of control. How is that alcoholic person able to see the consequences? They're not. And but that's hard. You know, it's really hard to stand in your power and be like, this is your job. This is not mine. Even when you're in a loving relationship or especially children, you know, you think you have to do everything for them. You know, I joke with my son, like he had some like dog poop on his foot and he was like so mad at me that I wouldn't wash it for him. And I looked at him and was like, no, 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 like I love you, but that's your job. But in his mind, that was a form of love, right? But I want to teach him that that's not what love is, not having someone do something for you. It's loving who you are, supporting your emotional needs. It is not doing things. As moms, that's what we do sometimes, right? We just do everything. But I'm, I'm not like that. I want to raise a man that can take care of himself and be a strong partner with his wife. Then we do everything for them because then he's going to assume his wife has to do that for him. And I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's your nine-year-old son. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, he has a hard mom. He already says, you're tough on me. I'm like, I am sometimes, but you will thank me one day. Oh. I love him to death. But yes, I am on a mission to make sure my son can stand on his own two feet, love himself, care for himself, so that he's a healthy version in a partnership. How many times have you dated a man and that man has looked at you and said, oh, no, you're you're a tough cookie. I don't oh. know if I can handle you. So to be honest, I've only I've had my ex-husband and then I just recently was with someone that we did end up breaking up. But that's exactly I've been. I am very intense. Yes. I mean, but I love intensely. But yeah, I have high expectations. I have been told that many times, but I've come to just learn to accept my moral compass is really strong and I need to love myself, right? I don't need to keep beating myself up for who I am. There is somebody out there in this world for me that can handle, but I don't need to keep, I've dimmed my light for a lot of men in my life, and I don't want to do that anymore. Right. We've just recorded a show. It'll be on next week, The Art of Loving Yourself. Exactly. That'll be a fantastic show, which the rest of the audience, as well as yourself, may enjoy. But to those that have just come in on the conversation right now, ladies and gentlemen, this is Danielle Jeanne. That's spelled J-E-U-N-E. Danielle has a podcast. It is called Finding Your Inner Phoenix. And she is also not only a nurse, she is a nurse practitioner. And that is a wonderful, wonderful profession where, Danielle, you'll never be unemployed in that field unless you just decide to give it up. I really applaud what you have done there. Well, thank you very much. Yes, it's taken me a lot of time. Um, there was a long time I wanted to be a doctor, but I'm actually dyslexic. And so 
schooling isn't easy for me. I am more of a kinesthetic person, which is where I learn doing things, feeling things. And that is why nursing became more my avenue and why I excelled there because it's more intuition. So yes, I'm, I love my job. I love being a nurse, but more I do like being a nurse practitioner because I joke, I'm a recovering control freak. So I like to be the boss. <laughs> now, do you ever do duty at the hospital or strictly I, as in your own office? No, it's just my own office now. I did used to work as a floor nurse before I worked at the VA for a couple of years. I did hospice, actually, and um, oncology, and I did some med surge. But um, it's hard for me because I like wellness more, so the hospital is a bit, can be a bit it's, it's sad at times, you know, these are people at their end or they're really ill. I like to get to the root of the problem so that they're more in their wellness state than their illness. Have you ever had to diagnose someone that came to see you with the disease which you perceived it to be and told them they were an alcoholic? Have I? You know, I guess I'm I am different than other providers because I don't think a lot of providers do, but I am really honest with my patients and I will tell them that there's an issue with alcohol here. And because I am, even as a provider, believe the person, like you said, the person can only change when they want to change. So they have to say I'm an alcoholic to want to accept it to then be able to change it. But I am different as a provider, which is my mission is to, if you're giving your patient five different pills for anxiety, for acid reflux, their liver enzymes are elevated, they're diabetic because they're telling you how much they're drinking because you know that the, you multiply that by three times, like that's, you're even taught that in school, then you need to really talk about the root of the problem, which is the alcohol. But it's sometimes it's easier as a physician or a, I call provider. So that's why it gets confusing because as a nurse practitioner, I am a provider. It's more encompassing than a doctor because encompasses physician's assistance because they can also write prescriptions. But back to, have I told them that they're an alcoholic? No, because I believe only an alcoholic can say that. But have I told more of my patients the truth that this is affecting them and it's affecting their family than I think other providers do? Yes. That's how I would answer that question. <laughs> I've got $50 here right now for the times that you've told them. I'll guarantee you it's more than once you've told them that. And they, oh, no, no, I'm not an alcoholic. Oh, of course. No, oh, of I'm course. not. No, oh, no, you're wrong. Danielle, yeah. you're wrong. No, I even say this on my podcast. It's a disease that they, the, the most, I think the most profound thing I've heard was someone said, it's a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. <laughs> That's so true. That right? is, I've known them. Danielle, I'm telling you, it's the rock and roll business. I'm not fooling around with you. You know what yep. I'm doing. You yep. know what I'm talking about. I've known them to drink a fifth of whiskey a day. The yep. doctor says, do you want to live? Do you want to continue life as you know it on this earth? Well, yes, I do. Uh, well, you better knock that off because you've got blank amount of weeks to live. And you know what? They'll knock off a fifth of whiskey a day and turn it in to only a half a bottle. And Danielle, a half a bottle of whiskey a day will kill you just the same way. I know. I hear you. But it's that's the detachment, though, right? That's being like letting it go. Like you just the alcoholic is on a journey and you're not invited. <laughs> Isn't really? that the truth? If we go to the liquor store and we get some top shelf whiskey 
and a half a bottle of that is consumed by one person daily, you don't have a very long lifespan left on this earth, would you say? I know you don't, but there are some people that are touched and I don't understand it, but it's not, there's something greater that to where they sustain, you know, and I don't, that's their bodies. But do I think that they should not be on this earth much longer? Yes, but there are some, I've seen it, seen patients that it is something that you can't explain <laughs> how right. they are still functioning, how their body is still working. But I have come to, you know, it's baffling. It's cunning alcoholism, but it's more bringing people back to themselves that I want to teaching, you know, you're in a partnership with someone or you have a child. How do you focus on yourself? Because essentially you become addicted to fixing the alcoholic. And that's the pattern of behavior that I would like to help wake people up to. Are you still working on yourself? Oh, for sure. It's an always going to be anyone that says that they're perfectly healed is lying. <laughs> no. oh. You know, I am, I am in a very, I know someone said something to me that's really kind. They're like, you're like more vulnerable than like Brene Brown. I'm like, well, that is like really amazing because she's incredible. But yeah, I am a very true person. And I will tell you like, yeah, I'm still, I still have I just broke up with someone I really love and I still have my own pain from that. And I, I'm just a little girl, too, that wants love, you know, and but I, you have to just honor that and move forward and, you know, know that what's meant for me is supposed to be for me. And that uh, any form I'm learning, any form of rejection is redirection, right? So I'm just being redirected back to myself. Oh, I think that's on your Facebook page, isn't it? <laughs> Don't it look upon be. it as rejection. Look <laughs> upon it as redirection. Yeah. Now, somebody in your life at some time was in a rock and roll band. Who is that that's got those orange <laughs> amplifiers and all that? No, that's just me. No. Oh, you don't have orange yes. amplifiers at no. your house. No, that is where I like. Okay, so I have rock and roll in me in my soul. I don't know how to explain it. Like I, it's who I am. That's why I'm learning. I love to sing more than I did. I, it's like every week I feel like my voice gets better and better because I have more and more confidence. You know, right? And, orange uh, is an amplification company out of Britain, Great Britain, the UK. Are you telling me you've got an orange guitar amp in your own home? No, no, that's in my recording studio. So oh, really, I okay. have, yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm doing it real. Like those are real musicians that are playing that are local in Gainesville. That's at my recording studio. Um, and to be honest, like I've had a lot of people, I know if I'm attracting alcoholics, are they typically musicians? Well, most of the time they are. So I am creating this connection because like you kind of have to be cool in a way you know and I was never really cool in high school but there's just certain things about music that I'm really connected to that I want to attract people to be like okay maybe I should listen to what she's saying maybe I should take a moment and try to listen to this type of meditation because binaural beats can change your brave waveforms and your brain like there's real stuff to what I'm saying so it's not like it's real like this is just who I am I love music but I also want to help people heal and I have to meet my audience where they are, if that makes sense. So your podcast, when it ends in song and you're actually singing, yes. that is recorded at a recording studio outside of your home. 
Totally. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you did have a very famous rock and roll musician come from Gainesville, Florida. I know, Tom Petty. Tom Petty. May he rest <laughs> in peace. Oh, absolutely. They used to be called Mud Crutch at that time. Mm-hmm. Yes, then they later became Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. May he rest in peace. Yes, so that's probably the most significant that uh, I remember out of Gainesville, Florida. But all throughout Florida, you had a lot of those Southern rock bands. Uh, yeah. Skinnerd, The Outlaws, there's more than that. 38 Special, if you've heard of all of them, they're all out of Florida. Then the Allman Brothers came out of uh, Georgia. Even they lived for a time i believe in daytona so yeah florida has long been the home of a lot of the southern rock acts right now you are working on the podcast where you are stating your opinion about what you're going through in life but at the same time you you kind of have this vulnerability about you where you're showing your weaknesses as well as your strengths. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, and where did you get the to, courage to do all that? I don't know. It's coming from within me. I just feel my ultimate dream, Hermanus, is to be a motivational speaker. And so in order to do that, I also want to be really authentic in my truth and be like, this is who I am. This is where I came from. And that you can do the same thing. So I I just, but part of it, you know, you're recording. I'm not as nervous. I did one on YouTube. YouTube and that made me a little more nervous, but I just feel like when I'm speaking on audio, I can just be really real. You know, I'm not worried about people like looking at me. <laughs> right, right. Uh, no, that's true. You can, <laughs> you can be more yourself that way. Exactly. Oh, but I, I do need to move forward from that because I do want to eventually be on camera, but it's just going to take me time, right? It's just part of my own journey of loving myself, having self-confidence and those types of things. Right. Now, these doctors, please tell me that these doctors have a high, high preponderance of cockiness about them. They're very condescending people for the most part. More than 50% of them are condescending. True? Oh, 100%. I always, I'm going to say soon in my next podcast, like, you know, God, so many doctors believe they're God, but they don't even believe God exists. And it's kind of interesting to me. But I, um, I don't know, my personality, while I can be really kind, I just don't accept it. And I think a lot of men get a little intimidated by me. But um, I believe I stated that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't mean to because like, you know, I am actually really nice, but there's just a certain line like I just don't take BS, you know, and I joke with my friend. It's like I can see the inner like the ego bubble, I like to call it. And I like to take a little needle and like pop it. And that's just maybe part I joke my own disease because I like to trigger people but I want to do it in a kinder way I don't need to like show everybody the mirror all the time but I guess I do that (laughs) I'm just but I'm learning to do it in a calmer way ask questions because when you have been raised by alcoholics you can have an edge of view of judgment because you don't know what's right and wrong so you always have to judge everything if that makes sense you know it's like okay wait you know I can't trust this person I gotta judge what they're saying I gotta judge this where I've had to learn to let go and just allow people to be themselves 
and not have this predisposition of who they are. Well, I mentioned the Allman Brothers out of Georgia. There was another act out of Georgia. It did a little piece. It was called uh, Pretty Little Thing, Let Me Light Your Candle, because, Mama, you're so hard to handle. That's me. That's you. That's you. I did not know they wrote that about you. Yeah, they did. Maybe I'll use that song. Are you ready? I'll use that song. I am going to tell you that's by the Black Crows, although that was not their original song. They stole that from somebody else. That was like for one of those black soul groups that had that out first. And then the Black Crows redid it and had a hit with it again. But yeah, you're hard to handle. It's You're going to have to have a man that's going to be secure in his inner self to handle someone like you, if you don't mind my saying that. I don't mind you saying it because it is the truth. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, her name is Danielle Jeune, J-E-U-N-E. She is a nurse with added credentials, which means she's a nurse practitioner. In certain states, a nurse practitioner, which if I could say it very quickly, a nurse practitioner is to an RN, the difference basically, just to generalize, the difference would be an RN, a higher education bachelor degree, nurse practitioner educated with a master's degree. Is that fair? Yes. Mm-hmm. There we go. Now, of course, you got to investigate and find out more. You can't generalize like that. But you actually can see patients. You can write scripts. You're highly intelligent. You're a good speaker on your own podcast, which is Finding Your Inner Phoenix. And don't you get dejected personally when you meet these patients that you that you see and their phoenix just won't rise? Um, I don't know if it's dejected. I'm just learning to not. So I think when you are a, a healthcare provider, you sometimes expect your outcome is uh, tied to your worth, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I am learning that my job as a provider healer truly is to be the best version of myself for them, for them to wake up to who they are. But I don't get as sad anymore. It's like, I know in my heart that I did my best with my patients. I give, I, I meet my patients where they are because at times you can overfunction for your patient. And it's the same thing as I was telling you with an alcoholic, you're hindering their own ability to recover. So it has to be kind of an equal, this patient is ready to change and I will show up for them. But I've had to learn that in my boundaries in the beginning as a provider. I would overfunction, I would overdo, I would overfix, but then the patient wouldn't actually change on their own because some, it was being done for them. So I don't know if it's, I, I don't get as disappointed because I know that when they're ready, they'll be ready, if that makes sense. Right. Do you ever get the patient coming into you, these system players, they're there for the prescriptions, you see. Oh, of course. That's, <laughs> so yes. that is my gift. I joke, I call it my lizard brain. Like I know in an instant when it's an addict and when they're trying to come at me for, and it makes them so mad. Oh, yeah. But half the time, half the time they'll come back to me later and they'll be like, you were so right. So it's like, I guess I do have that gift 
gift to know very clearly. I can see manipulation from a very early stance, which is, you know, it's hard. You want to trust people. You want to know that there's pain. Now, there's also systems in place now, too, where there is actually like a system where I can go online and I can see. And I want to say this on the air so people know that they can't fool doctors anymore. Like we can see where you've gotten your prescription from, who you picked it up from. Like it's you can't really doctor shop anymore. Is that like nationwide? Yeah. Well, I don't want to misspeak. I only know it is for Florida. Uh, Okay. Okay. But I'm assuming it's nationwide, but I just know that there's a database that I can go into and pull every pharmacy and see where everyone's gotten their their controlled prescription. Mm, I can see them playing you like a fiddle. They're thinking you're dumb, girl. They're thinking (laughs) you're not smart. (laughs) Well, when I was younger, I was I've had a couple of like mistakes, you know, and I've had actually providers and doctors that were so kind to me. I'll never forget it. Be like, this is normal to get kind of, you know, duped by people, but you just can't, it can't happen to me now. (laughs) Do you have where the normal dosage of A, B, or C pill is blank tablets, let's say one, but the patient takes four? So, no, there's no way I can notice that unless they ask for a refill sooner. You know, I mean, there's not like, they don't don't come in and admit that. Um, some people weirdly will with me. They'll be like, I don't know why. I just tell you the truth. I'm like, well, this is great. This is how I can help you. Because a lot of times, like if your patient isn't honest with you, how do you really help them? But a lot of times I've heard patients say, you know, I'm just so afraid of so-and-so because they'll judge me. Where with me, they don't feel judged. So they just blurt it all out. But um, do you typically patients, especially addicts, tell you the truth? No. I mean, there's a saying in Al-Anon, if their lips are moving, they're lying. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh. I've heard that identical thing in reference to some of our wonderful, tyrannical government employees. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just kindly nod your head, but in your mind, you're like, lies, 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 lies. Mm-hmm. Oh, <clears throat> yes. The kind of employees that wear a little tin badge and a gun. Mm-hmm. How do you know if they're lying when their lips are moving? I yes. mean, I mean, like, you know, I'm not I'm not perfect. You know, I can't always you can't always assume you're not always right. But it, that is one thing. My intuition is strong. So typically I've been right, you know, but I'm not, you know, I'm not ignorant to the fact that I'm not always right. You know, there's no way you're always right. And nobody's going to walk in there and play you like a fiddle. No, not anymore. Uh-huh. Not, not this not this person, even mm-hmm. romantically either. Right. Uh, <laughs> speaking of romance, no one man in your life at this time. No, not now. I mean, a week ago, yes, but not now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Was he a drinker? Um, that is for him to decide. I mm-hmm. can't answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I'm going to go along with that. If somebody is wanting to go to Al-Anon, how, yes. what do you recommend they do? I know nothing about it. I've heard of sure. Alcoholics Anonymous, and I know that they do their meetings, I think, every week, and they have like a clubhouse or whatever you call it. Al-Anon, yeah, so I-, I know nothing about. Fill me in on that. Sure. So Al-Anon was created by the wife of Bill for AA. So it is a supportive environment for those that have been affected by the disease of alcoholism. So essentially, it's the same. The steps are the same. The traditions are the same. They have meetings. You just look online. You can Google Al-Anon near me. And right now, like Gainesville has a very large recovery where you have two meetings a day. Now, not every 
every city is that robust, but you'd be surprised how many meetings actually are where you are locally. Sometimes they're through Zoom because of COVID, but you just go online. It's a non, you know, it doesn't cost any money. I always say it's, I think it's the best dollar therapy I've ever been to. I've been to therapy for decades, but you don't understand. There's certain things that without that group of understanding of what that disease has done to your psyche as a little girl that no one else understands, but in those rooms, if that makes sense. Well, you are a fascinating person, highly, (laughs) highly intelligent. Men are going to be shying away from you unless they have the confidence to deal with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah you're know. an you're an intimidator, Danielle. <laughs> but I I know I think of that song like she's a man eater. I don't want to be. That's not my intention. Like I want a partner, but um I also don't want like I told you, I'm not dimming my light or my personality anymore. There is somebody out there that can handle it. <laughs> Whoa, here she comes. She's a man eater. Daryl Hall and John Oates. Oh, my. Oh, my. Hall of Notes. She's a man eater. And that's who we have here. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) as intelligent as she is, she does a wonderful podcast where you can learn all about the things she deals with as a nurse practitioner and in her own private life. It's called Finding Your Inner Phoenix. And her name is Danielle Jeune. Now, Danielle, we're about ready to get out of here. Once again, if somebody wants to get a hold of you for any reason, how do they do that? Um, the best is through email, Danielle Jeune at findingyourinnerphoenix.com. But if that's too hard to remember, you just go to the website, www.findingyourinnerphoenix.com, and there's a contact, and it will direct you easily to get a hold of me. The uh, email again, Danielle Jeune, J-E-U-N-E. Uh-huh at findingyourinnerphoenix.com. Okay, very, very well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so grateful that you had me. Thank you so much. Danielle, it has been a, a definite pleasure. I'm delighted that you came on. Thank you for sharing your story. I hope the people will do what I did and get on over and check out your podcast. It's a great podcast, totally, totally unique. And I just wish you the best of success with it. And you can come back later and we'll pick up where we left off. Okay. Oh, I would love to. Yes. Excellent. Okay. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, my hat is off to our special guest, Danielle Jeanne. Go check her out. I highly recommend it. Her podcast, Finding Your Inner Phoenix. I don't want to hold you over, Miss Jeanne. So at this time, I think what I'm going to have have you do is just say good night danielle good night danielle all right everybody thank you for joining us today danielle jeanne our special guest finding your inner phoenix check it out i highly recommend it from this extremely intelligent nurse practitioner out of gainesville florida tom petty and the heartbreaker country down there in the state capital of florida this is rick flynn speaking it's been fun but i've got to run on behalf of myself and our special guest danielle jeanne thank you all have a great day and we'll see you on our next show have a wonderful day good night
The proceeding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking. The alcoholic, the alcoholic, the alcoholic, the alcoholic, the alcoholic is on a journey and you're not invited.